In a few moments, um, Glenn's going to come and preach. Uh, let me read to you the Bible verses, first of all, from Matthew chapter 6. We've been working our way through uh, this section of Matthew's gospel called the Sermon on the Mount. And that will take us really up until the end of May uh, with a few uh, visiting people in between. Uh, but Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. This is God's word. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Hey Amen. Thank you, Dave. Um, I'm not going to lie, folks. I was a bit stuck when I was actually preparing this as to, you know, how am I going to open up the sermon? How am I going to start? Part of me was thinking, I'm just going to dive in and say, we're going to look at this, 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 and this. But then as we were praying there and we were listening, your prayers helped really to kind of think, this is how we're actually going to start. Because I was listening to Phyllis and she was saying, you know, bring our burdens to Christ. And then Marion as well was saying, align our hearts. That's what we're going to be thinking about today. One of the first things we're going to be thinking about is that worry is incompatible with our faith. The next thing is that we need to seek a Christian heart. They're the two main things we're going to be looking at. And then we're also going to be thinking about how we can apply these things to our life here in Foundation, but also in our own walk with God. And so we're looking at Matthew 6, 25 to 34. It doesn't say it on the sheet, but this passage is entitled, Do Not Worry. And it contains a lot of the main themes that run through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the series we're going through at the minute. And as I was preparing this, and I was thinking about it over the last wee while, it, this has had a lot of an effect on me. And I'll go into why that has helped me be positive during these past number of weeks. And I hope that by the end of it, you'll experience a bit of that yourselves as well. But, and also it starts, this passage starts with the word, therefore. So that kind of gives us a little conundrum we need to push back. It's, oh, there are words in the screen there. <laughs> I didn't even notice. It's all right. I have people looking up going like, what's going on? It's, oh, it's all right. Don't worry about it. You're doing a great job. All right, the therefore points back to the previous passage. And that passage is entitled, the, the treasures, well, I actually forget the title of it, that's a good start, but it talks about the treasures of our hearts, okay, and it also goes into where the treasures of your heart are, there we go, they're on the screen now, so where the treasure of your heart is, your heart will be there also, 
That's what it's talking about. And then it gives you two alternatives. You cannot serve both God and money. What that passage is talking about is, you know, you don't store things up in heaven. You don't put your faith into things of the world, things that moth and vermin destroy. Okay, you put your faith in God. A love of money is what distracts from God. You know, it distracts because you're putting all of your energies, all of your efforts into accumulation rather than submission. So in light of those two alternatives, either God or money, Jesus then follows on the start of Matthew 6, 25 with this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In light, therefore, the alternatives that were given, God or money, Jesus is actually setting out. It's not just saying, do not worry. Jesus is forbidding worry, assuming that his listeners will make the right decision between God and money. So we're talking about anxiety, we're talking about worry. We need to define what that is. Worry for those, worry, anxiety, they're the same thing, but what worry and anxiety are, are actually part of our nature, but it's a self-centeredness, our nature. Anxiety, as we'll find out here, is counterproductive. It's self-centered, counterproductive worry. It's not legitimate. It's not focusing on the legitimate concerns of God. You're only anxious when you're going down that route of putting your faith, your energies into the things of the world, not of God. So we need to see that actually what we should be concerned with is the spread of God's, God's news, the good news of Jesus. And as it goes on then, Jesus points to all the cares, you know, at the creep into our everyday life, like it said there, what we will eat, what we'll drink, what we will put on our body, whether we're going out in the morning to work, maybe out in the evening, things like this here. Um, how we're physically feeling, you know, nor about your body. There's all these things that creep into our lives and it would be easy for Jesus just to leave it there and say, do not worry about these things. But what he then does in verse 26 is he goes, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or rape, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, I'm not going to lie, when I came to read that part, I found that quite strange to look to the birds of the air because I don't know about you, whether you pay much attention to birds. I personally, if it's like a pigeon, I don't like them. I really do not like them. I think they're like flying rats. But anyway, Jesus points to these and it's, it's an interesting kind of thought because, and that goes back to Genesis 1, the words will appear on the screen in a second, that God put us in charge of the creatures of the world. So the birds, so yet he's saying that God is taking care of the birds also. Yet we're meant to be in charge. If God, therefore, and so the words in the screen, yep, Read them together, sure. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And yet God is taking care of these birds in the sky. It should be our job, but God is providing for them anyway. So thinking about that, God's providing for the fish of the sea, basically the environment, the birds, fish, all living things under his care. 
if God's taking care of those things, he then points out, are you not of, yeah, are you not of more value than they? We're more valuable than these, yet God takes care of them anyway. So can we not then take from that for our concerns, whatever they may be, those little creeping anxieties that come into our minds, maybe it's we're planning for something the day later or whatever it might be. God is taking care of that. God is providing us with what we need. He's doing it for the birds. He's doing it for the fish. I nearly said bees there. He's doing it for the birds and the fish. He'll do it for us as well. So we can take then that from this passage, these first two verses, that God is more than worthy of our trust because he provides for all living things. He's providing for all living things under our care. So therefore, do not worry about earthly concerns unnecessarily. That's what it's pointing to in these first two verses. That's not to say that, that might sound flippant, but I'm just saying it there. That's not to say that there are not worries in the world, legitimate concerns, but what we need to focus on, therefore, is our response to them. What do we do when these concerns, and, you know, there's little mini concerns, you know, there are a few football fans, and whenever your team goes behind, you're worried about the result there. That's a tiny concern in this spectrum that I'm going to be talking about. Then you get other concerns, things like, more minor concerns like car trouble. How are you going to get out to work? Things like that there. These are things that do happen in life. But then we get more serious concerns as we go along. Maybe it's, you know, we're living in a cost of living crisis. You might be worried, can you afford things like your mortgage, food prices, you know, car payments? These are all going up. These are all legitimate concerns that affect our daily lives. But the Lord will provide for that, even more so illnesses, you know, things that legitimately, you know, hamper maybe your mobility if it's arthritis or your actual health if it's something like you know, cancer or another bad disease like that there, and then there's difficulties in relationships. So there's a massive spectrum of worry, but some of these concerns on this side, results, other things like that there, are illegitimate. You have other legitimate concerns, the things that might have hampered your movement, but what I'm saying here is that how do we respond to these things that bring legitimate limitations to our lives? We need to do we need to do various things. One thing I want to ask you is, when you find yourself anxious about the things, say it's a test result, or you had a test done medically, how did you respond to that anxiety? Your response tells us a lot about you in terms of your relationship with Christ. You see, fretting over issues continuously suggests that your heart is actually still focused on the things of the world. It's not submitting it to God. You're focusing on the things that are created rather than the creator. So what Jesus points to in these early passages is a trusting in God's provision. Anything else, and this is where it's going to get, this is where it might seem quite harsh, but it's true. Anything else distracts away from that provision is actually a perversion um, towards earthly things rather than the provider of those things in God. It's going to sound like I'm hammering this point home, but when you focus your mind or you focus your attention on the things of the world rather than on the creator of these things, what you're actually doing is you're running in the face of God's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. You know, 
he's feeding birds. These things fall under his concern. Wildlife. These are all a concern of him, so you are his concern. He will provide for you. I think we also need, in that case, to think, you know, there's a difference between our needs and our wants in life. You know, God will provide what we need. It might not necessarily be what we want. We need to be mindful of that as we walk with Christ. One of the things, and I know this isn't on the screen, so don't panic. Um, this, this isn't on the screen, but... Jesus also tells us to bring our needs to God in prayer. You know, submit these things to Christ. Do not worry, Christ, sorry, do not worry. You know, the Lord will provide. And it is another key theme that goes through the Sermon on the Mount because of Matthew 6, 11, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, one of the things he teaches us to say is give us this day or give us today our daily bread. And when we say this or when we're asking the Lord for what we need, it doesn't necessarily need to be give us today our daily bread, but it just needs to be give us this day what we need to, you know, to face the day. We're actually acknowledging God's sovereignty by asking for his care and his provision in our lives. So all this points back to God's sovereignty, but I sort of jumped ahead of Jesus here and actually hammering home on the point because Jesus then says, can any of you, I actually used a different translation, my translation said, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? This points back to God's sovereignty, but more importantly, it points to the fact that worry is incompatible with our faith because it's illogical to try and prolong your life and there's several examples in the Bible that you know, demonstrate this point. One of them is Psalm 139, which will appear on the screen in a second. But I actually came by this passage and talking this week to someone in my work. I, I have to admit, I cheated slightly when I was preparing this because I gave a dry run to some, you know, year 11, sorry, no, year 8 and 9s because I'm part of the Scripture Union now. So I was talking to them about... Matthew 6 and do not worry and bringing it to about their exams and things like that there. But then a you know, colleague of mine, Catherine, stood up and shared this in Psalm 139 where David writes that your eyes, yep, your eyes, that's God's eyes, saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So we can tell from that that trying to prolong your life is pointless, it is illogical. Because God provides, he's actually set, before you even came to be, he set the span of your life. And all, and you know, he set the span of your life, all that you will achieve by worrying is surely not, as the, the writer R.V.G. Tasker writes. And there's medical things to back this, medical things, sorry, that's, that's not the right proper way to say it, but there's medical evidence to back this up. Stress is a result from worries, and stress does cause you know, bad things to happen to your body. So you're only limiting your life by worrying. We need to submit our concerns of the world to God in the hope and the provision that he will provide what we need to overcome these concerns. And to you know, carry on in our walk in the hope that he will provide. 
Jesus then turns and asks, why do you worry about clothes? Then compares the flowers of the field positively to Solomon, King Solomon in the Old Testament. And I'm not going to lie, I struggle to try and think, how am I going to compare, you know, flowers to Solomon and things like this here and the lilies as well. So I thought I'd give you a little bit of context. And in 1 Kings 4, 22 to 23, there's a list of all of King Solomon's daily provisions. This is for um, his household, his palace servants, things like that there. But it says that Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores of the finest flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl. There's a key word in there, and it's daily. Do you know what I mean? That's that's what his staff, his household enjoyed in a day. That's a lot. That's a, an embarrassment of riches, riches, as you would describe it. And God, or sorry, Jesus in this passage says that even the grass, the fields, and the lilies are adorned or you know fed or grown in a way that is more positive than what Solomon enjoyed. And this is a little bit of biblical history, but a question you wouldn't or probably shouldn't be judged for having is why would God clothe grass so nicely? Grass in the Old Testament days were, were actually used, and the New Testament days were put in clay fires. So it was used to kind of stoke the flame in the fire. And you shouldn't be judged for thinking about that. Why would God, you know, grow something? that is here today and then gone tomorrow is just thrown into a fire. But my question then to you is, can we as believers not trust God more to feed and to clothe us because we're more valuable to him? If he is doing this for grass and field, will he not much more provide for us, his chosen people? There's a beautiful bit of imagery that Charles Spurgeon wrote in relation to this passage. He said, lovely lilies, how you rebuke our nervousness. Our foolish nervousness, sorry. So that's, it's basically, if you think about it, lilies turning around to people saying, why are you being so nervous? What's wrong with you? You know, the Lord will provide. Jesus, however, puts it a lot more stronger. And I love this bit where he goes, you of little faith. Jesus uses that a few times in the New Testament. And it's a rebuke, pure and simple, and it's designed to point us back to God. We will achieve nothing by worrying, absolutely nothing. We need to bring our concerns to God. It's quite simple, actually, and James, Jesus' brother, describes in a letter to the Jewish church how we overcome this lack of faith, and it should appear on the screen behind Yes, it does. Okay, so if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That, I'll be coming back to that second part later on, the idea of being tossed by the wind, but just a little part now, 
Whenever you come in faith and you ask God to take care of your needs, you need to believe. You can't come to God half-heartedly because that shows that there's still a part of you that's putting your trust in earthly things. We need submission to God. I'll go into a little bit more about that a little later. So I hope from this first part you actually realize that worry is incompatible with faith. We need wholehearted faith, strong faith in God's provision. We cannot keep our focus on the things of this world. We need to turn our eyes to Christ and to the cross. But the next thing we'll be talking about is in doing so, we need to seek a Christian heart. There needs to be a response. As I talked before, we need to show a response to God. From verse 31, we see Jesus hammer home the response we need to give God as a, as a thank you, basically, for his love. It says in the translation from the to view Gentiles, but in the translation I was using, it's pagans run after these things. But we're called to avoid the pagan questions that are said in verse 31. You know, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Because these questions... They run in the face of God's sovereignty. They are an affront to God. He knows what you need. So the call instead is to live a distinctive lifestyle, one marked out by seeking a Christian heart. Verse 33 tells us how we should do that. It says, so we need to, well, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we need to cooperate with God and trusting him through seeking righteousness. James Hudson Taylor, he was a British missionary to China, wrote about seeking the advancement of God's kingdom. He said that the use of means ought not to lessen our faith in God. And our faith in God ought not to hinder our using whatever means he has given us for the accomplishment of his own purposes. We're, we can't be sedentary, folks. We can't sit still and just hope for things to happen. We have to have hope in God, but we need to seek his righteousness. We need to go into actually doing his work while we wait for God. It's more than just seeking. We need to humble ourselves to God's work. So to take the focus away from the perceived necessities that we have in our lives and towards God's desires for our lives there are three stages to this and i thought this as an example i'm not doing a big giveaway but this is this is going to be a example in a minute we can submit our our lives to god in three ways first thing we do is we bring our family our work friendships our earthly concerns to god in prayer as we mentioned or as I mentioned earlier on, that we need to submit these to God via prayer and petition. And it says in, uh, that it's in Philippians 4, 6. And there's a crucial part to this because it says, do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. As we were praying earlier on, I heard a few people, or probably most actually say, thank you to God. We need to approach prayer with thanksgiving. You know, there may be worries in our lives, 
but we need to realize that even each day in itself is grace from God. So we need to present God above our worries, but say, thank you, God. Thank you that I'm here. Thank you that I'm having these worries because part of the Christian walk is enduring hardships. But we still need to bring these things to God in prayer. The second thing we need to do is we need to move towards caring for others and showing what one writer put as evangelistic responsibility. To, and that can be to our relatives, colleagues, neighbours, you know, friends, and whoever really is in our kind of social circle or sphere of influence, that kind of thing. And then this, and this, the third thing applies specifically to us here at FCB is we need to witness to our wider community, be that here at Belmont in Clara, we just, we've been in a couple of weeks now, Belfast or even wider than that. We need to seek God's work. We need to be the salt and the light that it says in Matthew chapter five. These three steps are important, but as I'm going to demonstrate now, they need to be done in humility. They need to be done by putting God first. The true humility in seeking God's kingdom. We can't just take it all on ourselves. I'll show that now. If we take this part, this hand, this is just us. If we're the foundation of our response, this is our concerns. We then have our family starting to shake our foundation. And then we have the concerns of the wider community. It's unbalanced. We can't do everything on our own. We need God. When we have a steady foundation, there's no shaking. When God is our foundation, he will provide us with the strength, the endurance, to deal with all these things, to deal with our own concerns, but also with his mission, to deal with going forward and witnessing to the others in our friendship circle, work circles, whatever it might be, and then to the wider community, people we haven't even met. All these things need to be done with true humility to God and seeing that he is actually the basis that we must work from. This links actually to what Dave was speaking on last week in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 5, it's like, you know, don't, don't take the plank out of, or sorry, don't take the speck out of your or friend's eye without dealing with the plank in your own. If we go out there ourselves and just think that we're going to lead, we don't need God, then we're being hypocrites. We're being sort of self-righteous. We need to take our righteousness from God. We need to go to God first, ask for his direction. He provides for us. Righteousness, of course, and seeking God's righteousness is a key theme in the Sermon on the Mount. There are going to be a few passages, I think, come up on the screen behind us in Matthew. Yep, so Matthew 5, 6, first of all, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you link that to what we're talking about, you know, when you seek a Christian heart, when you seek God's righteousness, he will fill you, he will fill you with a spirit, your needs will be provided. But that comes with a risk and it won't be easy. Following God, it says, for those in Matthew 10, for those that are righteous, you will be persecuted. But yours will be the kingdom of God. That this is following God is not easy. Speaking out about God is not easy. 
it comes with persecution. And then again, yeah, so Matthew 5, 20, for the, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. But more importantly, in Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That points, Matthew 6, 1, to the humility we're talking about here. We need to submit to God in all things. And let him be the basis from which we work from in terms of reaching out to others. Folks, submission to God can be very scary. But there's a promise from God in Isaiah 41. I'm going to read it to you this. I take great heart from this. And just to give you a bit of context, I'm going to read it off the screen. But part of me wants to challenge myself to not read it off the screen because in my previous church, we had, over a space of a couple of Sundays in a kid's church, this hammered into us as a memory verse week after week after week. But I'll read it anyway, because it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It talks about righteousness. Righteousness comes from God. Is he who we need to turn to? Jesus concludes the chapter with this final statement in verse 34 it's therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day as its own trouble you see this was said as one of the first key moments in Jesus teaching one of the first times the disciples were all brought together and I don't know about you and your faith when you first came to faith but there's an immaturity that comes in faith, and this was the disciples at the start of their faith journey. So seeing that the disciples were immature in their faith, they probably didn't appreciate the gravity of the grace, or appreciate the grace that they were shown in being called to such an important position. So Jesus is telling them not to focus on the future. Today has enough grace for itself. Focus on the day. Tomorrow will worry about itself. It comes back to this idea of the daily bread. You know, we receive grace daily. Jesus is saying, don't waste grace on tomorrow's concerns because those fears might not even come to pass. Rather, focus on living today in grace that God has provided you as it is more than sufficient to meet your needs for today. So I hope from that you've gained an appreciation for why we need to seek a Christian heart. But I just wanted to end today with a couple of thoughts on application. Firstly, for ourselves, how do we apply this passage to our own hearts? Well, we need to make a renewed effort, folks, to share our worries with each other so that others can pray. We need to reach out. There's no point trying to harbor our own concerns ourselves. If we have something that someone can pray for, folks, reach out. Don't be frightened. I know that there are people in here that will pray for you. I'll pray for you. You need to share. Similarly, go deeper within your relationship with Christ. He loves you. Spend time with him in prayer. Dive in. Because he, at this very moment in time, and I think it's something that kind of passes by, 
he's interceding for us right now at the right hand of God. He's giving our concerns to God. And also, we need to think about caring for others. You know, don't worry about sharing your faith. It can be scary, I know. But it's important in advancing God's kingdom that we take on the responsibility, evangelistic responsibility and step forward. And, you know, do not worry. As it said in Isaiah 41, God's got you in his righteous right hand. Step forward in confidence and share your faith. I also just want to finish on talking about ourselves as a church because I think that this passage is so important for us today from where we are. We've gone through a bit of a rough patch and I know from speaking to some that there are fears about you know, our church, can we do church, things like that there, but this passage should point us to God's provision. Folks, we have people in here who are gifted with wisdom, teaching, prophetic words. We have the gifts to do God's work. We have the gifts to advance God's kingdom. We need to trust. We need to bring our concerns to God. If we're worried about the church, pray into it. But also trust that God has provided you with a gift that someone else in this room or even further afield can benefit from. And we might have concerns about others that have left us or people that are here. Bring your concerns to God, folks. There's no point in fretting. Fretting limits you. Let go of those concerns. Bring them to God. And I just want to end with this as we think about the Lord's provisions there. Thinking back to Matthew 25, or Matthew 6, 25, sorry. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Don't fix your eyes on what we don't have, folks. Because when we do that, we often overlook the grace that God has provided us with today. I think it's important that we realize that God has the grace for us here. He's provided for us. We have what we, have what we need here to do church. Let's take heart in that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're a loving God. And Lord Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you that you're at this moment in time are bringing our concerns to God. Father, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that if there's something on their heart that they may just reach out to you, to submit to you, and that there would be a renewed effort by us as your servants, Lord, to come to you daily with our concerns. And Lord, provide us all with our daily bread, I pray. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you provide us with enough grace to see today's troubles and to overcome them, Lord. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.